Well, this is Pastor Patrick Hines here at Biddle Heights Presbyterian Church, and I want to press on uh, in the series I started on the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, which I was uh, thinking about changing the name of the whole series to 186-point Calvinism, uh, since uh, so many people think, well, there's just five points to you know Reformed theology. Well, there's not. The, the Westminster Confession has 186 paragraphs, so it's actually 186-point Calvinism. Uh, but I thought that would probably confuse people and create more questions than it would help. So basic biblical Christianity for everyone is what I'm going to leave the serious name. And I want to press on in these shorter uh, daily um, podcasts and videos I'm going to try to put out more often now. I'll keep them around the 10-minute, 10, 10-15-minute 10, mark, something like that. So let's go ahead and push into the Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 2. This is of God and of the Holy Trinity. Uh, This says, there is but one only living and true God, who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable, that means unchangeable, and most righteous will. For his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, they're quoting directly from Hebrews, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. So that's probably one of the greatest definitions of God that's ever been written on uh, the entire history of the world. And so what this, we need to unpack this, this is the attributes uh, of God. And I just want to kind of go through and just do as much as I can in about 10, 15 minutes. There's obviously a lot that could be said about all that's uh, said here. But there is but one only living and true God. And uh, this is something that comes up in, in Scripture. Uh, I wanted to pull up a passage here. Uh, there are not gods uh, that are made with... Um, with man's devising, yeah. Um, here in Acts chapter 19, uh, where you have uh, Paul the Apostle here uh, preaching, and um, it says in verse 26, Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Okay, so here you have uh, the people complaining. Um, where the, uh, the in Ephesus there, I think is where they are here. And yeah, because the, the Temple of Diana, um, uh, the, this image supposedly fell from heaven and they scream for a couple hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians down here in verse 28. But this whole issue, they are not gods which are made with hands. That's part of the most basic claim of the Christian faith, of the Bible, is that there are no gods that exist other than the God who has revealed himself in the pages of Holy Scripture, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. The the gods of man's religions actually are not real. And, you know, I was listening to the world and everything in it, and they were talking about all this persecution and all these these, uh, Islamic groups that just kill, threaten, murder, beat up. Uh, anyone that they think may may blaspheme the, the Quran or say anything against the Quran, I <laughs> just think, you know, it's, it's nice to live in a part of the country where I can say this. Allah does not exist. Okay, the Quran is not God's word in any in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the Quran is not a holy book in any way, shape, or form, and Allah does not exist. 
the exalted man of Mormonism that they call God. Uh, he doesn't exist either. Uh, the gods of um, all the polytheistic groups, the Hindus, they are not real. They do not exist. There is but one only, the living and true God. Uh, Paul, that phrase is actually taken directly from, from 1 Thessalonians 1.9. And Paul writes here, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turn to gods, or, or turn to God from idols, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So there is only one God by nature. There is only one true and living God by nature. And that is the God who has revealed himself in creation. Uh, the God that is, the knowledge of him is suppressed by man in his rebellious state, apart from divine regeneration and enlightening on the part of the Holy Spirit. But that's the only God that there is. And so the idols of man and the, the, the statues that are made with by men's hands, they are not deities. And they are not gods. There is one only living and true God. He is infinite in being and perfection. So we, you and I are finite. I occupy a, a little bit of space uh, in the whole universe. Okay, I'm just this tiny little speck on a tiny blue speck, the earth, um, in the cosmos. Okay, and that's me, and that's where I am. I'm just right here. I can't be in more than one place at the same time. I am a finite creature. God is infinite. Okay, he, he does not have uh, limitations on his being at all. Uh, God is everywhere present, and you can't um, say, well, half of God is over here, and the other half is over there. God is infinite in his being, and he's infinite in his perfection. He is a pure spirit. Okay, and what is a spirit? A spirit um, is a person without a body. God does not have a physical body. And people will immediately say, well, but Jesus is God, and he has a physical body. Well, the human nature of Christ is a body. Yes, indeed. Uh, but the divine nature of Jesus uh, is not um, a body. Uh, it is, it, it, the divine nature is a pure spirit. Jesus said in John 4, 24, God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is also invisible. Okay, we can't see him, and that's another important part. That's why we've been going over the Ten Commandments. We can't make visible depictions of God in any way, shape, or form uh, because we don't know what God looks like, obviously. And God even says in Deuteronomy chapter 4 um, that you saw no form. And he, he says that to kind of reinforce the fact you cannot depict me as anything. Okay, and that also includes the human nature of Christ. We're not allowed to depict that either. Uh, because you can't depict the one nature without an intrinsically, inherently trying to depict the other. So God is invisible. God as he is in himself, okay, is invisible. And that's a direct teaching of uh, 1 uh, Timothy, um, as I recall, 1 Timothy yeah, one seventeen. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So he is invisible. Um, he is without body, comma, parts, comma, or passions. So God doesn't have a, a body. There's not bits and pieces of God. It's not like, you know, each person of the Trinity is one third of God or something like that. God is not like that. God does not, is not divisible in that way. Uh, he also does not have passions. What that means is God is not subject to anything in his creation. In other words, God doesn't react ultimately uh, to anything. And uh, people will say, well, are you saying God doesn't even have emotions? I mean, Scripture says that he grieves. Yes, God has emotion and God grieves. Yep, he does. 
but he does not grieve because he's subject to creation. God decrees his own grief, and he decrees his own joy. He decrees his own mercy. He decrees his own wrath and anger as well. God is immutable, meaning that God's divine nature uh, is never increasing, nor is it diminishing. Okay, so God never learns anything. He doesn't acquire uh, anything. He doesn't grow in any way, nor does he diminish in any way. God, as he is in himself, is immutable. <laughs> now, if something mutates, what does that mean to mutate? It means to change in, in essence. Okay, a mutation is a change. God is not capable of mut mutation. He is immutable. And that also is a direct, what's called a didactic, a direct assertion of Scripture. Malachi 3, verse 6, I am Yahweh, I change not. God, as he is in himself, it does not change. His nature, his, his essential nature does not change. And the, the incarnation was not a change to the divine nature. It was the addition of a human nature to the divine nature. It didn't change the divine nature at all in any way. God is also immense, meaning that the heaven and the highest of heavens cannot contain him. Okay, he is immense. He is eternal. God does not did not begin to exist. That's one thing uh, people don't recognize this, but the God of Mormonism uh, is finite. Now, they'll say, no, 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 we, but he, we say he's eternal. Yeah, but he's not. Not in the biblical sense of what the, the term olam means or of ionion in Greek is not what what it means the god of mormonism began to exist was actually born as a human being on some other planet in the cosmos somewhere okay that's not eternal that's not eternal god is eternal from everlasting to everlasting so from everlasting to everlasting god is god god did not begin to exist that's something that one of my little kids has had a real hard time trying to wrap her mind around how is it that god could always be like how could he always be like God, I don't understand that, you know, and, and it's like, well, uh, God is eternal. That's how he has revealed himself. I can understand the concept, but experientially, obviously, I don't know what it, what it means to be eternal. Okay, eternal, incomprehensible. God as he is in himself, his godness is incomprehensible to us. We only know him insofar as he reveals himself to us. So that, that's really what the incomprehensibility of God is all about, saying that man is not really capable of knowing God in himself, God as he is in himself, unless God reveals himself to us. He's almighty. There's nothing he can't do uh, that is not contrary to his own character. People have asked the question, can God kill himself? Or could God make another God that's equal to him? No, he can't. There are certain things that God cannot do. God can't lie. We know those are direct teachings of Scripture. God cannot do that. Uh, God cannot contradict his own character. Um, when God makes a promise and he swears by himself, he will keep that promise. Okay, He's not capable of lying. He's not like us in that way. He is um, incapable of doing that. Okay, So he's almighty. He's most wise. Man, you see the wisdom of God. Every time I think about that attribute, the wisdom of God, uh, I think about the plan of redemption and the way that God wove that through all of history as it's recorded in, in Scripture. But I also just think of things like butterflies and plants and the the wildlife that we see around, the human eye and the ear and the brain and, and organs and the way they all work. And uh, you see the wisdom of God 
reflected all around you uh, in the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, life, biodiversity, all, all of that stuff. It's, it's an amazing thing. You see his wisdom in it. He is most holy. Okay, he's most holy. God is not merely holy. He's holy, 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 according to the angels that, that fly around him in the vision in Isaiah chapter 6. God is holy, holy, holy. And that's really the attribute of God that gets us in the most trouble. <laughs> if only that one wasn't the case, if only God wasn't holy, uh, we would not be in so much trouble for our sin, but he is holy. And that's why uh, his holy justice against us must be satisfied by a perfectly holy victim, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's most free, okay? He's not constrained by anything other than himself and his own desires, his own plan. He's most absolute, okay? He, again, is not partnered with anybody or anything. He is absolute in his sovereignty. He works all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. That's taken directly from Ephesians 1, 11, God who works all things after the counsel of his will for his own glory. Uh, okay, he does that. Why does God do everything that he does? Why does everything come to pass that does even things that make no sense to us uh, to glorify his name? He's most loving. Yeah, that's another thing. God, the, the Holy Trinity, God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Son, love one another. And in fact, it's that very love um, that we ourselves really enter into because we're hidden in Christ. Why does God love me? It's not because I'm lovable. It's because I'm hidden in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, we're told in John's Gospel. And so God's love for his Son extends to those who are in his Son as the covenant surety of the covenant of grace. Most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, that means he's patient, abundant in goodness and truth, Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Those are all direct quotations from Scripture there, from many places in the Old Testament. The rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's from the book of Hebrews. And withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. So think about that. Um, we bless his name. God is gracious. He freely chooses to be gracious, and he freely chooses to be merciful. It's wonderful that... In our definition of God, those are attributes that he has revealed that he has. God is gracious. He is merciful. He's patient. He's abundant in goodness and truth. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Anyone that repents and believes in his son, God forgives them. God accepts them. God cleanses them of all unrighteousness and makes them his own children, adopts them into his family. But notice at the end here, with all most just and terrible in his judgments, you know who understood that better than anyone? Jesus, because the wrath of his father fell on him in the place of his people that he came to save. God is just, and indeed, he is terrible, terrible in his judgments, terrible in his judgments. Okay. Um, Nehemiah nine thirty two. now therefore God, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, uh, the I, when I was preached through Nehemiah recently, when the, it translates that word as awesome, but the word means terrible, terrible. And, and they understood that the exiles there understood that God is terrible in His judgments. They they were under judgment. They had been exiled, thrown out of the Promised Land, and for seventy years were in captivity there. So a lot of people were born. A lot of people died uh, during that time. God was terrible in His judgments but also who keeps covenant and mercy, okay? 
And then they pray, don't let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. Even though they all say in that prayer in Nehemiah, when they're, they're the national confession, you are right to have done to us what you did. It was right for you to send us into exile. It was right for you to judge us because you're the great, the mighty, the terrible God who keeps covenant and mercy. Don't let all the trouble seem small before us that has come upon before you that has come upon us. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. For you, you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. God hates sin, and he will by no means clear the guilty. And I was talking to my kiddos at devotions, and we looked at Romans, and I was asking them about how can God justify us when we're still wicked? And was able to, to help them understand a little bit better, I hope, um, the same way that he was able to judge and condemn Christ. Imputation. God credited the guilt of our sin to Christ and judged him for it. God is withal most terrible in his judgments. He judged his son in the place of his people so that he could be forgiving and merciful and abundant in grace and, and kindness and goodness to us all. So this is the God that we worship. That's just the first paragraph. And there's uh, there's two more paragraphs here in chapter two, the definition of God. And uh, thank you all for watching or for listening.